Amen, saints of God. As we prepare for the word of God, amen, I would like to turn your attention to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 7. Amen. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 7. According to Matthew chapter 7. All right. All right. Amen. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Amen. Amen. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 15, you will find these words. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. This morning, I want to talk with you for a few moments from the thought, wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves in sheep's clothing. In times past, as we have brought to the forefront, that the gospel according to Matthew is written by a once tax collector named Levi, whose name is also Matthew. The tax collector has now become a servant of the Most High God, Jesus Christ. He has become a servant, and he's also become one whom God would use to write one of his Gospels. Amen. And the Gospel according to Matthew is written to portray Jesus as King. And we're dealing with chapters 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which gives the manifesto of the king. He gives us the desires and the requirements of what it means to be a kingdom citizen. Kingdom citizenship is just not your name written on a piece of paper, but it is a lifestyle in which God requires. So in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7, he has been outlaying 
what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. He's talked about what he doesn't want us to do, and he's talked about what he does want us to do. Amen. And so now we're entering the final stretch of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7. It is the final stretch of this race through this Sermon on the Mount, but unlike in a real race that we might have on a track, we begin to speed up toward the end. In that final stretch, we start our sprint toward the finish line. But according to this text, what I'd like to do and have been doing is to slow down. Because in the final stretch, amen, Jesus switches from his do's and don'ts to a great plea. That great plea is to ask, to seek, and to knock. Not just to ask once, not just to seek once, not just to knock once, but keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. In the asking, it shall be given. In the seeking, ye shall find. In the knocking, the door shall be opened. And so, so many uh, have Use that text to say that that is a text for whatever you ask God for, he'll give it. If you seek after it and you knock, if you try to open the doors, God will give it to you. But we found that that's not what Jesus was saying at all. In light of chapter 5, verse 20, that said that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he's saying in order to get to this righteousness, in order to get into the kingdom of God, you got to ask me. And you got to seek me while I might be found. And I am the door. So you need to knock. But don't just do it once. Do it more times. And let me know that you're serious about getting into the kingdom of God. Kingdom living is a day-by-day situation. It's not a one-time thing. Amen. It is a lifestyle that we live out. Amen. In obedience and servitude to the Lord. So he goes on in his plea to also show us that God wants us to be those who live by the golden rule. To do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Sometimes folk mistreat us and talk about us and slander us and call us everything but a child of God. But God is requiring us to treat them better than they treat us. Amen. Because they didn't treat us how we would have them to do, but we're going to treat them how we would have had them treat us. Amen. Amen. And as we go on in our text, we found that in this plea, Jesus has said to us, getting into the kingdom is not easy. There are many people that are trying to follow the road of easy believism because broad is the way unto destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. And so he says it's difficult to enter in and very few will find it. See, there's a lot of folks saying that they're Christians and they're on their way to heaven anyhow. But this text allows us to know that, no, there's going to be a remnant out of the many that actually enter in. God has always worked in a remnant, even in the Old Testament. Amen. When Gideon was getting ready to go to war, he had 30,000 soldiers, and God said, these are what? Too many. 
And he brought him down and he brought him down until he was down to 300 men. Amen. Because God works in a remnant. And in any church congregation, what we will find is there's only a few with inside of a congregation that's really working for the Lord. There are many people on for the ride, but they're not on for the work. Amen. And God is working in remnants. There are in the vast number of folks who say that they're Christians. Amen. There's only a few that will really find the kingdom of God. And so I contend today that for this group, for us that are in this room, let us strive to enter the narrow gate. Let us keep asking Jesus. Let us keep seeking Jesus. Let us keep knocking on the door, Jesus, so that we can get salvation. Because if the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees were not enough, there's no way that our righteousness is enough on its own. Our domestic righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. We need a foreign righteousness that can only come from God. The good news is that righteousness of God is now found apart from the law. It's found apart from us doing, and it's found in our faith in the one who's already done it. Jesus said in around 5 and 17 of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. The law is good because it shows the righteous standard of God, but we always fell short. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one, 3, 9, and 10. Amen. But we find that we can find righteousness in him because he was righteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be called the righteousness of God in him. Y'all see that, saints? God has sent his only begotten son to be our substitute. Because if he didn't need a substitute, his son would not have had to come. So since his son has come, amen, we better find in a hurry a way to get to Jesus. We better find out how to ask him. We better find out how to seek him. And we better find out how to knock on his door. Amen. Because if there's any way into the kingdom, it's coming by Jesus. Jesus outlined all of the things in the Sermon on the Mount that talked about the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, and they fell short. We fall short. Jesus says, but I have fulfilled it. So now... Jesus is saying he's turning another page on us when we get to verse 15. Now realize now that he has made the plea for us to ask and to seek and to knock. Because in the asking and the seeking and the knocking, God will let us into the kingdom. But God doesn't let us into the kingdom the same way we were. God changes us. He rearranges us. He takes us up out of the muck and the mire and he places our feet on solid ground. The Bible says we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, he said, but we have made us alive in him. We, we were dead. We were doing our own thing, but we were dead because we were in sin. We were separated from God. But in the asking, seeking, and the knocking, we get a new life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. God has set us on a new path. We are not who we used to be if we have truly accepted Jesus Christ by faith. It is impossible to be who you used to be when the Holy Ghost comes inside of you and regenerates your dead spirit and makes you alive in him. There ought to be a change, Sister Terry, as we talked about yesterday. When you accept Jesus Christ, you can't be like you used to be. If you were a serial killer before Christ, you better not be a serial killer after Christ. Because Christ has the ability to change your life. If your lifestyle is the same as it always has been, after you have professed to be a child of God, you might want to go back to where you started from and do it all over again. Because there ought to be a change. You ought not go where you used to go. You ought not say what you used to say. You ought not do what you used to do. So therefore, something has changed. You have gone from being one kind of animal to another. You've gone from one creature to another. And today I want to look at us as sheep. The Bible says that he is our shepherd and we are his sheep. God, Jesus told Peter, he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. If you love me, Peter, then feed my sheep and feed my lambs. So the Christ, the, the king of this kingdom looks at us, those who have professed faith in him, who have truly given our lives to him as sheep. So now we open up with verse 15. Verse 15 says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. I was reading a study on sheep and something called predation. Predation is just a big word for how they are preyed upon by other animals. And I can't remember the percentage. It seemed to be somewhere around 90% of all sheep deaths are by canines. Let me fix that up a little better. 90% of all deaths of sheep are by canines. Canine family has wolves, dogs, etc., coyotes. They're in the canine family. So when we look at this text, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I don't know what the relationship is between the canine and the sheep, but the study went on to say that with sheep, even domesticated dogs have the tendency to want to bite, maim, and kill sheep if they're around them and they're present. There are even canine animals that are normally not that way, when they're in the presence of sheep, they tend to get this viciousness towards sheep. 
So since God calls us sheep, we must understand that wolves are not our friends. They're not here to play patty cake. They're not here to slap you on your back, to play jacks. They're here to kill. And I watched a study on wolves, and I found some things interesting about wolves. Since Jesus calls these false prophets wolves, ravenous wolves. First of all, ravenous. When, when a wolf is ravenous, when a wolf is very hungry, a wolf will do whatever it needs to do to find food and to kill whatever subject that it's after in order to get its appetite satiated. So he says a false prophet is like a wolf, a ravenous wolf in sheep's clothing. When, when I watched the, 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 documenta- the documentary on the wolf, I found that wolves are very smart. They're very cunning animals, right? Now let's go back to Genesis for a minute and remember in chapter 3 that um, Moses said in his writing, he said that the serpent was more cunning than any other beast in the field. So we know the serpent is more cunning than the wolf. But I say to you today, don't count the wolf out. If Moses had have been writing and said who might be the second most cunning, it just may be the wolf. So this is the reason why the sheep of God should play pause, should should, should start to really listen to what God is saying about these false prophets because they're after you. And they're after you not to be your friend, but to kill you. So these ravenous wolves, the, the, the wolf pack, this documentary went on to talk about how the wolves run in packs. And they have a social hierarchy with inside of the wolf pack that most outsiders have no idea what is going on. Because the wolf is so slick, Sister Lyons. Lot, lot cunning like this serpent that the wolf, when he recognizes or she recognizes that somebody is trying to observe their behavior, they change mode. And they begin to do something else and try to get out of the sight of those who are observing them. Because the wolf don't want to be found out. They don't want you to know that they're a wolf. And that's why these wolves come in sheep's clothing. See, the wolf comes and they dress up and look like sheep. They say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. They, they, they give in offerings. They pray loud. They sing loud. They come to church. They on the roll. They, this is my church. These are my people. I love y'all. The wolf and sheep clothing. Because, hey, if the wolf came in wolf clothing, then everybody would know and would scatter. But they want to come amongst you and they want to look just like you so they can catch you off guard. Something else about a wolf is they don't want to have to put up a whole lot of fighting. So they just sneak right in 
and they mingle in to where you're off guard and then at, when you least expect it, they pounce. But in this wolf pack hierarchy, there was what's called the alpha wolf, then there was the beta wolf, and then there was the rank and file wolves, and then the omega wolf. They have a, a hierarchy that is sophisticated. Amen. And I want you to know that your enemy, Satan, has a sophisticated army as well. When Paul the Apostle says to us, he says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of darkness. He is talking about a sophisticated hierarchy of leadership and obedient soldiers. And the wolf pack has a same kind of hierarchy. There's the alpha wolf that runs the whole pack. Then there's the beta wolf that who is second in command. And then there's the rank and file. And then the omega wolf, the one that everybody else uses for their scapegoat. Now, isn't that interesting that the wolf inside of their pack has at least one scapegoat? Satan has always been looking for somebody else to be his problem. Amen. And mankind through sin does the same thing. When God said, Adam, where art thou? What have you done? He said, it's the woman you gave me. When he talked to the woman, the woman said, that serpent, everybody's looking for a scapegoat. It's everybody else's fault, but it ain't never our own. Wolf tactics. Amen. Wolf tactics. So we're looking at this wolf pack, and they've got this hierarchy. Amen. Sheep of God, I want you to know that the wolf, when you find one, there's more around as well. Amen. Because they run in what? Packs. So beware of the false prophets who look like sheep, who, who dress up and say praise the Lord and, and, and who come to church regularly and who talk about all of the things that they're doing around the church, but they're really ravenous wolves. False prophets. In the Old Testament, a false prophet was one who came and said, thus saith the Lord about future things. But indeed, they were liars. They hadn't heard a thing from the Lord. And so are these ravenous wolves, these false prophets. They come into church and they try to speak for the Lord. They try to interpret scripture, but they're really doing pretext. In other words, they're coming with text out of context to get you to do what they want you to do. When searching to seek out whether or not you have a false prophet or one of these ravenous wolves amongst your congregation, I contend to you the first place to look is in the pulpit. The first place to look is at the pastor and the other ministers. That's the first place. Because remember, wolves are smart. They want to go to the place where they can get the most leverage. They don't want to go to the janitorial team to try to influence the whole congregation. They want to go to the pulpit. They want the pastor's role. They want, they want the leadership roles 
other ministers because then they can wield their influence through their teaching and their preaching and their activities. Amen. So that's the first place to look for a false prophet. And false prophets from the Old Testament to the New Testament gave way to false teachers. Folks who took the word of God and twisted it for their own selfish gains. Mother Collins, we were talking this morning about some false prophets, wasn't we? How they take in scripture for their own selfish gains. Somehow they, they take in scripture out of context and they told us lies in the scriptures. One of the lies that they tell is that, well, in order to, to get your blessing, then you ought to speak those things that are not as though they were. They get that out of Romans talking about Abraham, amen, but they point it to us as if we got some power to be able to speak to things as if they, they were not and make them as though they were and then automatically they'll materialize. You want a new house? Then you speak it into existence. You want a new car? Then you speak it into existence. It is a twisting of scripture. Because what was going on when God was talking about Abraham, it was God who spoke those things that were not as though they were. Can you see how subtle the false prophet is? He just did a little switcheroo right in there and then applied it to us. But it was never for us to have that ability. It was always for God. God is the one who speaks something out of nothing. God is the one who says, let there be, and it was. God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. It is only God that can make something out of nothing. Amen. And so the false prophet comes along, and now he's got folk trying to speak cars and houses and land and everything else into existence, money into their pockets. I heard a preacher one time say, all you got to say is money cometh. <laughs> So I was, I was laughing and joking around when I heard that, and I was like, money cometh. And I looked in my pockets, and I was still didn't have nothing. Amen. I, I think we can say money cometh from now till we die, and it still be empty pocket. We're going to have to go to work and earn a living. Amen. Amen. But there was throngs of folks, y'all. I mean, when they had the camera to pan, there was all them folks in that room, and they was hollering, yeah, yeah. Now, come on, y'all. But people want to hear what they want to hear. And because we have itching ears, false prophets are able to come in and turn folks all kind of ways because we want to hear what we want to hear. But we, sheep of God, let us not be like that. Let us be aware of the false prophet. Now, remember earlier I mentioned also that the false prophet comes in packs. So when you find one, there's others around as well. There's others that's on team false prophet and they're mingled within the crowd. Sheep, but really inwardly, they're wolves. So today as I get ready to come to a close, it's going to take a while to unpack these verses because there's so much more here for us to understand about this text. For us to get a good grasp on how to determine 
what a false prophet is, who a false prophet is, and when we've got them in our midst. Because they're dangerous. They're not here to just be friends. They're here to kill. So first of all, we've discovered that first place you look is you look in the pulpit. You look at the pastors and the leaders, amen. But remember that they come in a pack. So there are others that will be amidst the congregation. But you will know them by the fruit that they bear. And we will begin to look at the fruits of what a sheep should have and the fruits of what a wolf has. Amen. If the Lord gives us another Sunday. Amen. So today, we want to know that God, when you have trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, you have been changed. No longer are you a wolf, but now you are sheep. No longer are you a one who goes and does whatever, but now you are a servant of the king. But come, becoming a servant of the king also puts a bullseye on you. Because the wolves are out to get you. The wolves are out to get you by themselves and to destroy you and to kill you. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I take care of the sheep. We say the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. Does not the Lord make it that we can lie down in green pastures and lay beside still waters? He, he's the one who comforts our souls. His rod and his staff, they will comfort us all the days of our life. So even though there's a bullseye on the saints of God, know that the Lord that you serve is the good shepherd and he'll never leave you alone. God loved us so much that he sent the good shepherd down through 40 and two generations. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, the good shepherd. The good shepherd came down through those 40 and two generations and he lived among us and he loved us. Because living, he loved us and dying, he saved us. Yes. Buried, he carried our sins far away. Yes. But rising, he justified and freed us forever. Oh, how safe, oh, how safe are we now? So in the midst of this trouble that we've got with the ravenous wolves, amen, let us remember that we still have Jesus on our side. And it will be him and his spirit that reveals to us all the things we need to see in order not to be eaten up by ravenous wolves. It is Jesus who shows us the prosperity teachers. It is Jesus who shows us the con artists. It is Jesus who shows us these ravenous wolves that are wearing sheep's clothing. But today I want you to know that there's help and help is here today. And if there is somebody here who does not know Jesus as their good shepherd, who does not know them, know him as their savior. Today is the day of salvation. You can get to know him today. Jesus says that he stands as the door. Will you knock? Will you ask him 
to come into your heart? Will you seek him while he may be found? Will you knock that he will open the door and let you in? Don't stay on the outside trying to do things the way you think they need to be done. Trying to be pleasing to God in your own strength. Because no matter how much you do, it will never exceed the righteousness of the scribe and the Pharisees. The only way to get there is by the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says no one can get to the Father except by me. So today, I encourage anyone here that may not know him to get to know him today. To ask him to come into your heart. To seek him while he may be found. And to knock on the door that he might be opened and that you might come in. Because he's willing to save you today. There is room at the cross for you. There is room at the cross for you there is a room at the cross for you but there's still plenty of good room. Amen. Amen. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Amen. Amen. Saints of God, if the Lord says the same, we will continue to unpack this text on next Sunday. Amen. To start to see in some details about the difference between a wolf and a sheep. Amen. 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 If all hearts and minds are clear, amen, we're going to uh, get ready for our benediction. Our benediction. Amen. Get ready for our benediction and our offering. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if all hearts and minds are clear, amen. Oh, yes, that's right. No, that's right. It's a communion Sunday. We're not going to benedict. Amen. We're going to go in the offering and go into communion. Amen. Amen. All right. So at this time, then we're in the hands of the ushers for our offering.